This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Welcome to the 93rd edition of the Clay Young Show here on Podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. Our guest today is sitting U.S. Congressman Garrett Graves. He'll be here with us in studio in just a moment to talk about Congress and really the lack of positive opinion from the American public on that institution. He'll talk about all of the hard work he's been doing in the aftermath of the flood. We're also going to talk a little bit about the aftermath of the Alton Sterling shooting, the police officer shooting, and what's next for the capital city region. I tell the story about how I met Congressman Graves a couple of years ago and how I had a really good impression of him after that first meeting. And then I get back to my office and my office manager here spoke so highly about him and that was all I needed. But I tell that story in the interview. We sat down a little bit ago and you'll hear that conversation in just a moment. Uh, We want to remind you that you can hit the subscribe button every week. We tell you that. You can download the show in its entirety. When it pops up, it's free again at iTunes. Man, if you have an Apple device, why aren't you on iTunes downloading this show? You can subscribe and you don't have to think about it. It just pops right into there. If you're a non-Apple user, you can get right to the site. Go to podcast225.com. Click on the show you're looking for, and there it is. You can also find The Waiting Room Podcast, brand new this month on podcast225.com. Information about a new police foundation is coming. As a matter of fact, as some of you hear this, uh, the announcement may have already have been made, but we'll talk more about it in depth next week and then some of the work that still is left to be done in this city with uh, this busy summer now in our rear view mirror and we're looking squarely through the windshield at what's ahead and it could be something so no more delay we'll take a quick break and come back oh i'll just say this you can follow me on twitter at clay young br or on facebook just search out clay young now quick break and back with congressman garrett graves Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the Podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young here with John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pest Stop Do-It-Yourself Pest Control. People are trying to recover their lives and rebuild their homes on the inside, get rid of mold. So I want to talk about a product called Sterifab. Oh, that's a good one. Sterifab is using isopropyl alcohol as the active ingredient. Okay. And that, in a part, will set it aside from anything else because it will kill the mold and the mildew and the seed. And that is the most important thing because you don't want this stuff coming back. So if you've used Clorox or mold kill or mold gel or one of those other mold stuff, it's coming back in about six to eight months. How difficult is this to apply? It's ready to use. You simply pour it in a spray. And you really want to make sure you treat not only the flood impacted areas, 
but all the remaining sheetrock that's there too to kill airborne spores. So if I'm in the New Orleans area and I want to get my hands on the product, how can I find Pestop? Well, in Metairie, we're located at 3512 Severn Avenue next to the Pepper Mill. On the North Shore, we're at 1417 North Highway 190. That's next to Sherwin-Williams or Villarie's Florist. And on the West Bank, we're on the Palco just past the Harvey Bridge. And of course, in the Baton Rouge area at 806 O'Neill Lane, Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution. Welcome back to the Clay Young Show. Back with Congressman Garrett Graves representing the 6th Congressional District, which encompasses most of the capital city region here in Louisiana. I met Congressman Graves as a result of a phone call from a mutual friend of ours, Miles Williams. Good guy. Great company. Miles is the reason I met Bill Cassidy as well. And so he says, you got to meet this guy. And Garrett, you know, Miles, you got to meet this guy. He's He's uh, he's he's smart. He's energetic. He's he's a good guy uh, for the job. And so we had coffee together and I enjoyed our conversation and we talked a lot about real issues, like real things people are dealing with. But the greatest endorsement Garrett Graves got was that when I got back to my office, because my office manager and my assistant have my calendar on their computers and in their phones, Carla here at the office just sung his praises. I said, oh, well, that's all I need to hear (laughs) because she is about one of the sweetest people that I have ever known. And I'm just so happy she's on the team here. And she just could not say enough nice things about Garrett. I said, well, there you go. And so uh, first and foremost, you owe so much to Carla because she's wonderful. (laughs) Now, in all seriousness, it's uh, people like that. I had some in with the family. Well, and you know, the thing is, you never know who you meet in life and, and the encounters you have and how things like that happen. And people can tell stories about you that, you know, that are so intimate and personal to them. And so it's been great. But now that you've uh, actually been in this job for a little while now, going on two years, <laughs> what do you think about it? Um, it's, uh, it's the worst job I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Clay, I, I seriously, um, you know, it gets it gets really frustrating because it, it just seems like um, uh, there aren't a lot of things that happen necessarily because of merit. Right. Um, you have 535 people in Congress. You have, you know, over 300 million Americans. Uh, you have this this extraordinary diversity in regard to ideology. Uh, liberals being on the, you know, far left. Conservatives being on the far right, and continuing to try and reach consensus among this this growing. Mm-hmm spectrum of ideology around right. the country, you know, look, let California do what they want to do right. and, and leave us alone. Leave um, us alone. Right. And, and so it, it, um, you know, it's becoming increasingly frustrating and I can't help but think that the, just the entire organizational structure of Congress is somewhat flawed. Um, but look, let me, I, I don't want to sit here and, and be entirely negative. I, I, sure. I want to be clear. It's a very frustrating job and certainly the most frustrating job that I've had, mm-hmm. but you know, look, we've been able to, to, to make some progress and been able to challenge some things that I think folks largely accept in many instances. Right. And, um, and I think that's been great, but it's certainly not the rate of progress that people deserve. One of the most common refrains from public is that they hate Congress. They may like their congressman or congresswoman, but they don't like the institution. And I think it's a part of what you just said. People don't often hear about the wins. And there's a lot of minutia that goes on 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 a daily basis with things that you guys vote on that people don't often think about that are important to their lives. People don't think a ton about infrastructure until a bridge collapses or there's a sinkhole somewhere 
but there are literally billions of dollars moved through government at the highest level to maintain highways and bridges and you know utility infrastructure in our country. To me, though, I think the flaw is in the personality politicians. And let me explain what I mean. We, we've had some colorful men and women who've represented us at various levels of government, and we enjoy them and remember them for their personality. But that was kind of an extra to the person, but there was someone who actually did the job, and they ran and ran for re-election based on a list of accomplishments or characteristics of the people who voted them in. We don't hear much of that anymore. You hear a lot of local politicians talking about national issues. Well, I live in Baton Rouge. I have a business in Baton Rouge. My family's in Baton Rouge. I care about the roads of Baton Rouge, the safety of Baton Rouge, the taxes, or and when we're lucky, the lack thereof in Baton Rouge. And I think that's important to me. And we're losing the individual relationship with the, the areas that vote for the elected officials. Is that, is that a fair uh, observation. I, I think you're exactly right. I, I think you've you've absolutely nailed it. Number one, just you know, we have a we have a saying in the office. You know, we we just say town hall, and what we mean by that is, you know, whenever we're working on policy issues, mm-hmm. can you explain that at a town hall within thirty seconds? Right. You know, you're standing in front of the people you're representing, and and you've got to explain to them why you voted for something, why you voted against something, right. what you've done. Right. And 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 if, look, people care about ultimately their bottom line. They care about their family, they care about their business, they mm-hmm. care about their community. Mm-hmm. And so um, th- th- we use that all the time in terms of that being a major guiding principle right. th- that helps inform our policy positions. And and I, I'm I'm not going to throw people under the bus, but I'll just say that I was meeting with some of the top uh, political people in Washington, sure. elected officials in Washington, um, recently, and we were sitting around the table. There was just a small group of us sitting around the table talking, and and all these people were sitting there throwing accolades and saying what a great job everybody's doing, whatever. And I, and, and and it got to me. And I was the last person, one of the last people to speak, second to last person to speak. And I said, so let me tell you something. I said I don't agree. And I said we're not here to represent corporations. Right. We're not here right. to represent a nation necessarily. We're here to represent people. Right. And I'll tell you the issue that I brought up is just, you know, for example, when you look at some of the stuff that's happened with pharmaceuticals. Yes. Um, you know, look, you, we can't defend that. You can't stand for that stuff. And, and that is our job to stand up for the individual people mm-hmm. that we're representing and fight that type of abuse that's happening. Do you think... And, and there, a little bit of this is the nature of the beast because media is such a huge part of the electoral process now. And it always has been to a degree, even back to the days of Abraham Lincoln. And he was a master of using the media and using his oratory ability to stay in the forefront of people's mind. But now it doesn't seem like we're talking about issues. It's so much gotcha politics. There are no saints in any profession on the planet, least of all politics. Nobody's perfect. But all I care about is the person's ability to do the job. Now, obviously, you don't want a deviant representing you at some level of government, but you mostly want someone who understands. And let's use as an example, and we'll take the last thing first, the flooding here. I know that you are all over this region. You brought your D.C. team down because you wanted them to touch it, to see it, to be, to smell it in some cases as well, to see the misery people are going through. It's complicated. I don't live in a flood zone. 
so I don't own flood insurance because I'm not asked to. I had five feet of water in my house. Let's say an average house, my house is $200,000, an expensive house. I got a mortgage on it. Now the house is worth one fifty, dollars and I have no money and no way to fix it. What do I do? Those are the frustrations people dealt with, and, and those are lower end. There were million-dollar houses in, in, in Baton Rouge that took on water. They're looking to people like yourself to be able to help them navigate something that is not normal. So I, I, I use that preamble to ask this question. Do you think there is an efficient way to deal with things like this that don't require all of the extra red tape? And if so, what is it? I, I absolutely think that there is. You know, some aspects of this flood, you look at it and you and you you believe that this is the first time we've ever had a disaster in this country, right. which obviously is not the case. Right. Uh, and it's incredibly frustrating. It seems like we're we're, we're reinventing the wheel every time something happens. Um, I think that that you can put formulas together uh, to make this work a lot faster, yeah. to get money out the door much quicker. I mean, look, people are facing foreclosures right now because yep. of government's inability yep. to operate efficiently, yep. uh, to act quickly, to give people answers, and because of government's inability to give consistent answers in some cases. And I mean, we've all heard stories about the people that got the maximum $33,000, their next-door neighbor who has identical financial got conditions got zero, got right. denied. Um, so, so how is that even possible though? I hate to interrupt you, but how, how does that metric even work for someone? You know, I think, uh, I think this is what's happening to a large degree. Look, FEMA doesn't have uh, folks fully staffed up 24, seven, 365, which, oh, which, they don't, which, but well, they do have a base agency, Okay, but they don't have, for example, um, all of the folks that are on the ground here necessarily. What they'll do, they have sort of like a reserve staff that they'll, that they'll deploy in disasters like this. And so you have all these different people that are going through and vetting all these applications, okay. and somebody may be having a bad day. Somebody might have filled out an application inappropriately. Somebody oh, might have man. used an adjective they shouldn't. You know, and, <laughs> and so you know, people are going But enough through. about Pat Inglade. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, Pat. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know... You, it's just all about the person that, that that's dealing with your application. So then you go through an appeal, you get someone who's more sympathetic, who understands your financial conditions, you right. get a fundamentally different answer. And so, you know, look, we don't need to necessarily have this 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 deal where you get a, a relative answer based on the person you're you're. Um, uh, th that's looking at your application. You can have all this done electronically, in effect, where you know you have folks that are that are that are putting numbers in a, in a computer system and spits out an answer, and that way you get more consistency. Right. Um, and so it's very frustrating to see, and people are very frustrated appropriately to see these um, these inconsistent answers and these delayed answers. Now, I'll, I'll give you one thing that drove me absolutely crazy. Okay. You may remember that about two weeks after uh, the flood. NOAA, uh, National yeah. Oceanic, yeah. Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, came Good out job with that. and released this study uh, saying that I think it was 42% of the flood was attributable to climate change. And I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. We can't give someone an answer on whether or not they're going to get assistance from the federal government. Right. But we can calculate <laughs> punch numbers, models, and determine that, that the flood was 42%. I mean, it's just like, come on, guys. This is ridiculous. It is amazing when you actually prioritize something and you have an agenda, what you can do. But don't you think 
credibility wise, that's a part of the problem. Thank you. That's a part of the problem that the federal government runs into, because when when these waters mostly happened, people weren't really Republican and Democrat at the time. I mean, the disaster, one thing, the, the, the disaster really showed the rest of the world is how little we care about differences when there's trouble. People just jumped on boats and went and helped neighbors. And then after we did our job here, the Cajun Navy and everything, waiting on the federal government, just what you just said. So when you go talk with people, you're starting from a deficit because you go in as a congressman. There is not really much of an expectation that you're going to say a darn thing that is, is going to be worth something to people. And then when they do hear something from you, it's like, oh, because I'm sure you run into people who tell you they're surprised that you actually told them something that they could use. And I guess it's, it's problematic because the expectation is so low. And we should have higher expectations for our members of office, specifically at the highest level. Again, is that fair? I, I think uh, it is absolutely fair. And, and I think that, you know, part of it, and you, you mentioned earlier the whole gotcha politics things. Look, all of this comes into play. Why would good people want to get into a job where folks are constantly digging into there, their past? Uh, yeah. And, and in, yeah. some, in some cases, digging into their past, in some cases, inventing, inventing their past. Inventing it, right. As I found out right. in, in, in yeah. our election, yeah. people making bit. up entirely little baseless bit. Bit. Um, allegations. You kept your so, cool good in that well, one, though. <laughs> uh, but, you you know, were like, running against one of the pros of pros, <laughs> though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and by the way, he's going to live forever, I he, think. He absolutely is. I saw him uh, two weeks ago. Um, but, but, you know, why would people want to get into this thing yeah. in a situation where you make less money, you work more hours, and you get subjected to just continuous criticism? Right. You, you can't do right in, right in some cases. And so, um, you know, look, the other thing is, is that I mentioned earlier that I think the organizational structure of Congress needs a fresh look at it. It's a fantastic organizational structure. Or I guess I could, I could, I could use an old quote and say, it's a, it's a horrible uh, organizational structure, uh, but it's the best one in the world. It's, um, it's right. It's and, right. And, but we've got to take a fresh look at it to make it more functional, because why in the world would someone who has a great resume want mm-hmm. to jump into a situation where uh, they're, they're not able to actually do anything and deliver no. for their constituents? And it just goes back to the frustration that I cited earlier. But, but I will say there are ways of working through the system. Uh, but I but I often feel like I'm on a bike where I put it in the easiest gear and I pedal right. you know, 50,000 rotations to right, move right. forward a yard. Well, let's I mean, and, and at some point in the future, I know how busy you are, especially with the election coming up uh, to talk more about some of the national national stuff. I want to drill down a little bit here locally talking about what's happening with the flooding. What have you what are you hearing in terms of assistance in terms of uh, mitigation for the future, because the way that this happened, the scary thing is it could happen again. And if that's the case, what do we do differently? Because this was just a rainstorm. This wasn't even a hurricane. So, again, where are we in the process? And then what are our plans in the event that something like this happens again? Well, I think where we are in the process is that um, the majority of people have received assistance uh, that have applied have received assistance through FEMA, in some cases, uh, it's been a, a low-balled number. In other cases, they've you know, hit the $33,000 cap. You've got people that are still working through their flood insurance claims. Mm-hmm. You've got people that are working on their SBA loans and others. And so m- most people are, are moving you know, through the process. We're still dealing with hundreds of people that are having frustrations with FEMA, SBA, and others. But, but look, bottom line is, is that 
uh, we are having uh, thousands of people that are approaching a situation where they're potentially looking at foreclosure. Mm -hmm. In some cases, because they simply can't make ends meet, they can't fill the financial gap of rebuilding their home, replacing their cars, replacing their clothes and other contents of their home. In some cases, have to elevate their home. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, they may be able to um, actually meet the financial uh, meet the financial demands that they may be facing, but financially it doesn't make sense to do it. If you've yeah. got to put, you know, in, in a scenario, if you've got to put $150,000 into a $100,000 house, right. that doesn't make sense. And that is the reality lots of people face. I mean, and, and what bank, it, it's upside down it by is. its very nature. And again, that's on the lower end. You've got three, four, five hundred thousand dollar homes that have the same situation. And not many people have a quarter of a million dollars sitting around that they can tap into to get their homes back. So that leads me to this. People are going to be walking away from their homes and it's already kind of happening. I had a conversation with Sid Gotro, the sheriff here a couple weeks ago. We had lunch and then he, he said, Jason Art is facing the same thing in Livingston. Property taxes. Now, again, this is kind of an odd question, but it's going to impact a lot of services, public schools, law enforcement that draw their operating revenue from property taxes. Have you spoken to any of them about this? And is there any way around it that doesn't equal a 40 percent increase in property taxes for people who didn't have their home flood? Uh, I, I have had this discussion with them. In fact, we've we've done a, a number of meetings and phone calls and with uh, very top officials in Washington trying to work through solutions here. Here's what's um, going on. You know, there, there are a lot of people in Washington that believe that um, that that oh well, the fiscal conservative approach is that we should not appropriate any money and just let the community take care of themselves. And I and I understand at first blush why some sure uh, very. Um, uh, I don't want to use the word uneducated. Let me think of a nice word. Uh, <laughs> it's a podcast. Uh, <laughs> Certainly worse. Worse is Richard Condon is set in that chair, so I don't think you could touch him in terms well, of descriptions. Well, i to people that haven't thought all the way through this right. may think that that's the fiscally conservative thing to, to do. But when you, when you actually dig into this a little bit more, these mortgages are backed by FHA, by VA, by right. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. Um, they're federally backed mortgages. So when people foreclose, the, the, the federal government's going to be holding the bag. Right. And, and so then you're going to, if people foreclose, you have federal government holding the bag, then let's just make up a number and say one in every three homes in, in, in hard hit areas actually come back. Right. Well, that's going to have an effect on the property value of everyone no in the neighborhood. No so question. not only do you have people not living in homes, but you have a, a drop in property value. So you have things like schools, police forces, yep. uh, fire department, yep. uh, flood and drainage and levy districts yep. that are all, their budgets are based upon property taxes. Right. So you're going to have this cascading effect of problems. So here's what we've been doing. Number one, there was $430 million in appropriations that were made available to the state a few weeks ago. The state is supposed to be putting together an assistance program whereby they will award additional assistance to home and business owners to help them recover, to help fill some of those financial gaps and make it doable for people to get back into their homes. Number two, um, FEMA recently improved something called the community disaster loans, where our fire departments, our, our police forces, our sheriffs and, and others can apply for these community disaster loans. And I want to say it's around 70 percent of them are ultimately forgiven. OK, um, but per, to provide some additional bridge or gap financing for our some of the critical public services that we right, have. So those are the right. two things we're working on right now. I think it's more common sense and, you know, 
We're talking about Congress, Clay. Be careful. <laughs> there, there is that. It, talking your way through solutions that make sense that don't equal more boondoggles or, you know, after Katrina, Ray Charles could have seen that some of what FEMA was doing was going to be corrupted. I mean, just, you know, you, you show up at a at a one of the lines where FEMA was handing out the debit cards and say, who that? And they gave you a card because you must be from New Orleans. It's it, you, you kind of need to be a little bit more thorough than that. Yeah. But it almost seems like they're punishing the Baton Rouge area because of the discrepancies yeah. of New Orleans after Katrina. Is that wrong to say I, no, that? or no, do you th- I, I think you're right. I think the pendulum swings, you know, it, yeah. it, it swings too far in one direction, perhaps in the Katrina situation. Maybe it did swing too far and, and was too uh, easy, too low of a bar for folks to get assistance. And so it swings back in the other direction and it's too hard. There's a balance there between yeah. getting assistance out there as quickly as possible and uh, getting it to the right people. Yeah. There, there's a balance. And, and I think the pendulum has swung too far in the other direction. I think it's taking too long. And it, it, it loses the sympathy or the empathy uh, for folks that, that, look, these people have lost everything. And here you are right. asking them to provide the same information and fill out the same application five times. I want to ask about something else that you were very involved with before the flooding. And that was what was happening in Baton Rouge in the direct aftermath of the Alton Sterling shooting and then the shooting of these officers. Uh, we attended, uh, you and Cedric actually had a joint uh, conversation with the public uh, and I know that you were a part of that dialogue and trying to get both sides together. And a lot of the work being done there was interrupted uh, because of the flood. I mean, it's everybody can understand. I said to people not in Baton Rouge that the picture of us that was being created in the national media was not accurate. Now, this is not a perfect city. By the way, if you pick one, let me know. I'll call a real estate agent there. <laughs> OK, um, but. I don't, I don't know that we have fully completed that. And as you know, there is still the decision coming from justice. So your observations about where Baton Rouge was after then and your, your thoughts, concerns, observations about where we're headed as this decision looms. Sure. So number one, uh, look, Baton Rouge, like many other cities, we have had and have imperfections. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think that some of those were, were really highlighted in the aftermath of, of the uh, Alton Sterling shooting. Um, and I'll tell you, you know, Clay, and you and I have talked about this. You know, I thought uh, kind of three things after I watched that video. And, and let's keep in mind, there are things that happened before the video, after the video. I don't have the full picture. Sure. But based on that one snapshot, number one, I wish he had complied. Number two, I wish the taser had worked. Yeah. And then as I started thinking about it more, number three, why is a guy sitting there at 2 a.m. selling bootleg CDs in front yeah. of a convenience store? I, I, there's something fundamentally wrong there. And, and I think that as we discussed in our, in our forum, you know, education is a big component, yeah. of it, among other things. And so, look, what this has done is it's highlighted some of these problems that I think to a large degree has been pushed off to the side sure. and under tables and, and, and shoved in corners. And, and I think that some people are focusing on it now. And I think that's good. I yeah, think it's very it good. It is but good. I, but I also want to say this. As many problems and warts as our community may have, when you look at what our community did and the way we came together after the police shootings on July 17th yep. and after the flood or, yep. or during the flood, I guess. Really? Yeah. Look, uh, there were people that, you know, the, the floodwaters, as you mentioned, it did not discriminate in nope. any way in terms of who it impacted and how it impacted them. Absolutely. And the rescuers and the folks who provided shelter and donations and food. 
everyone was completely colorblind, socioeconomic blind. I mean, everything, just, just doing everything they could for anyone that right. was in need. And, and uh, I, I remember thinking, uh, after I heard about the police shootings, look, this guy's not from here. I, I just, I remember I was in church yeah. and I, this guy's not from here. I just, I didn't think that anyone from our community had it in them to do that. I didn't think that would be their response. And I remember when I uh, apparently said that on the news and got just pounded on Twitter for saying it because uh, I was blaming it on outsiders and, and, and it ended up being outsiders. Right. But, but um, I don't think that the shooting represented our community. And I think you saw our true colors later on. But importantly, Clay, we do have to use the flood. We have to use the shootings as an opportunity for us to face some of these these challenging Absolutely. issues like education that have been out there lingering Absolutely. and um, and make sure that we we truly begin looking at things differently and, and work on a solution solutions. You know, uh, I know that uh, you got a lot going on between balancing what you're doing with after the flood. And then, of course, you're running a campaign, which has got to be brutal every two years to have to do that. But, um, you know, I think you're doing a great job and I've a lot, a lot of people have talked about it. Is there any one thing you want to say here as we wrap about what your hope for district six and specifically Baton Rouge would be? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, look, uh, Baton Rouge has, is an extraordinary, uh, city. Some of the resources we have, the opportunities we have here, uh, th this place, they have other places around the country that would, uh, the, the dream of having some of the assets like the river, for example, a major university, right. uh, the, the, many of the, uh, of the resources and assets that we have here. Uh, this place is blessed and, and the people here are amazing. Um, you know, in regard to moving forward, uh, one, I want to say that, uh, that I think that some of the challenges, whether it be the flood, uh, whether it be the, uh, the, the police shootings, this is an opportunity for us to build upon uh, those awful tragedies mm -hmm. and, and make sure that we come back better and we come back stronger and we address some of the fundamental issues. In the case of the police shooting, let's work on education issues. Let's work on bringing our community together, um, on the, uh, among other things, on the uh, flood issues. Let's work on getting the Comate project built, getting Amit and other flood protection area uh, um, projects built as quickly as possible and making our community more resilient. And last is this. Just like you saw during the flood, when people reached out hands and they didn't care what color the other hand was, how rich the That's other right. hand was, or anything else, we have got to take a step back and, and, and allow us to sort of redefine the narrative, redefine the challenges in our communities and become more open-minded in addressing solutions because I think that there are a, there's a much more consensus among folks as you and I, I think, found through some of sure. the dialogues we had sure. with very diverse group of people. All saying they're, the same thing. They're, they're saying it different ways. But saying, but the, saying same the same thing. thing. Yeah. And I think there's a lot more consensus in our community than some folks realize. I will say I think there's some people that are out there that are intentionally trying to make things divisive. But, um, but, but I think we have to use these as opportunities for us to grow back stronger and better. Uh, you're on social media. What are your social media handles? Oh, sure. Um, we're on Facebook as uh, Congressman Garrett Graves. Uh, we're on Twitter as Rep Garrett Graves, R-E-P. Um, we, uh, we have Instagram, Foursquare. We're, we're, we're Jeez, all over the place. Instagram but you can, and Foursquare. You can, axle, you can access wow. uh, all of our social media platforms through our, our, uh, our website. It's, uh, it's Garrett Graves, G-A-R-R-E-T, 
uh, Graves, G-R-A-V-E-S, dot house, dot gov, G-O-V. And he's not Todd Graves' brother. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I'm a big fan of him. And That's he's a, right. He's been a hey, listen, fan. man, those chicken fingers rock, but yeah. no, <laughs> they're, they're not brothers. Listen, Congressman, I appreciate you coming in, man. Hey, great to be here. Thank you very much for the invite. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial and online at brianlowefinancial.com. It's interesting, Brian, how sometimes bad situations can create opportunities. Absolutely. You know, we recently did an event at John Foles' place at Waddock Plantation. Mm -hmm. And as many times as I've been there, I didn't know this about John. So he got out there and told a story about tragic things in life can lead to great opportunities. Right. So I didn't know it. They had a bunch of kids he grew up with. He was the oldest of like five or maybe eight kids. But Mm -hmm. his mother died young. Yeah. The woman that showed up at the house to help raise the kids was an African-American woman yes. who taught him how to cook soul food. Right. So the tragic thing in life is losing his mom led to great, amazing things. So everybody out there is going through something tough in their life. Mm-hmm. Children going through something, the floods, retirement, loss of a job. Give me a call that sit down to lead to great opportunities ahead to fix your retirement going forward. Let's have a plan. Learn more about Brian and his team at brianlowfinancial.com. This is The Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Great conversation with the congressman. Thank you so much again for listening. Man, we will get into some of the specifics uh, about other issues. I didn't talk with him about Donald Trump and the Trump presidency, number one. I just, you know, just... uh, I just didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> the whole thing is just depressing. So uh, why why get into that? And and bottom line being, it 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 it's almost inconsequential to some of the stuff that we talked about here now. And uh, and the bigger thing is, you know, what are we going to do in Baton Rouge in the aftermath of all that has gone on here? So we appreciate the congressman joining us. And don't forget, you can download the show on iTunes for free. You can get it at Talk 107.3's mobile app for free or just log on to the website, podcast225.com. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.